Hello, friends, and welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grow Farm. One of our goals here at CCGF is to help you take your next step toward Jesus and the person God designed you to be. We hope our sermons help you to take that next step. If you would like more information about the community here at Christ Church at Grow Farm, or if you would like to contact us, you can do all of that and more on our website, which is ccgf.org. And to get an even further taste of who we are, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Now, here is this week's message, grace and peace to you. Well, good morning. Would you pray with me, please? Father God, I just uh, thank you so much for this church, and I thank you for all that you're doing here. God, I thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just come into this place, that you would fill us up. And as we open up your word, God, I pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds to it. God, I pray that you would speak to us here this morning, and that it will be your words that are spoken here and not mine. And all God's people said, amen. Well, I've done some pretty crazy things for my kids. I wonder how many of you could say the same. We've done some pretty crazy things for our kids. My daughter's favorite store right now is a store called Justice. Have you heard of this store? This store called Justice. Uh, it's like in this store, a herd of unicorns has rushed in on fluffy clouds and rainbows and littered everywhere. This store just screams trendy young girl. And so needless to say, anytime I'm in there, anytime I take my little girl shopping, not only am I the only dad in the store, but I am the only guy in the store, and I feel incredibly uncomfortable, incredibly out of my comfort zone. Um, but one day, uh, the whole family, we were in justice, and both of my girls decided that it was time perhaps to get their ears pierced. And my wife and I agreed. They're eight years old. That would be fine if they're ready to have their ears pierced. And so they got uh, pretty excited about getting their ears pierced. And, and so as dad, you know, I pulled out the, the, the debit card and paid for them to each get their ears pierced. And we walked up to the uh, ear piercing chair that they have there at Justice. And after paying for it, they all of a sudden got afraid. They didn't want to get their ears pierced. And so had a long conversation. First mom had a conversation, then dad had a conversation, and they didn't want to get their ears pierced, and so we said, okay. And so we started walking towards the door, and then, no, they got their courage back again. No, we want to get our ears pierced. And so we went back to the chair, and then they got afraid again. And so we said, okay, and then we went back to the door, and it went back and forth and back and forth. And then all of a sudden, dad spoke up, because when I was in high school, I wanted to be a tough guy, and I had my ear pierced. And uh, in fact, I wanted to be such a tough guy that I had my one ear pierced twice. And so I said, you know what? My ear has since closed up, but uh, I'll go ahead and I'll sit down and I'll show you that there's nothing to it. So I have a picture here of me sitting in justice uh, with... With, uh, with this stuffed animal for comfort and the girls watching and the, and, uh, and, and, uh, the, the, the girl there with doing the ear piercing, she was uh, all too excited as, uh, as she was piercing my ear, not once, 
but twice, and, uh, and, and all of the moms were laughing and scoffing as I got my ears pierced, but there was nothing to it. And I told the girls, I said, look, just a little pressure, no big deal, boom, boom. And I got my ears pierced that day because there's nothing I want to do for my kids. Unfortunately, after all of that, both of my girls chickened out and they did not get, they did not get their ears pierced that day, but I did. And I'm still sporting my dad earrings uh, a couple of months later, still to this day, trying to bring back the early 90s. Maybe it'll happen, huh? A couple of dads, you want to do it with me, huh? You want to start the trend back up? But you know, my wife uh, will tell you, uh, much to her embarrassment, that I will do whatever it takes. I will do whatever it takes. I want to be the best dad that I can be. Because when I look back in my life, I see a whole lot of failures. I see a whole lot of failures when I look back at my life. And as a father, sure, I've made a whole lot of mistakes. But if there's one thing that I will not fail at, it's going to be being a good dad. I will be a good dad to my kids. I will not fail at that. You see, in my childhood... I did not have a good dad. I did not have a good biological father. He was an abusive alcoholic, he didn't know the Lord, and he wasn't there for his family. And my entire biological family is scattered. Uh, We don't connect. And many are in some very dark places because of it. But praise God, that's not where my story ends. That's not where my story ends, because in my life, there was a man sent from God named Jeff. There was a man sent from God named Jeff, and Jeff introduced me to Jesus. And my life has never been the same. And I am all the better for it. And I am eternally grateful to God, and I am eternally grateful to Jeff. You see, Jeff was a witness. He gave testimony to me about Jesus Christ. You know, we've been in this series called Unquenchable, and we've been looking at the prologue to John's gospel. And in this series, what we've really been doing is answering the question, who is Jesus? You know, that's really the purpose of John's gospel. It's evangelistic. In fact, John finishes his gospel by saying, but these words are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You see, John wants to get people saved. And in order to do it, they need to understand who Jesus is. You know, my wife and I, we have a a guilty pleasure. We love to watch true crime murder mysteries. We do. I just got to be honest with you. We love to watch true crime murder mysteries. We're always hunting for them. We're always searching for them. We're binge watching them. And our favorite by far has to be the Netflix documentary, Making a Murderer. Making a Murderer. Maybe you've seen the show uh, Take the Nation by Storm four years ago. Maybe you saw it Take the Nation by Storm four years ago. Four years ago, it just took the nation by storm. Last year, a second season came out. It's about a man from Wisconsin 
who was released from jail after 18 years from a crime he didn't commit, only to be arrested again, this time on the charge of murder, the day before he was about to receive a million, a few millions of dollars, millions of dollars in a civil uh, suit against the police. Man, it was a thrill ride of a show. And this documentary took place over years and in and, and courtrooms and, and testimonies and evidence and it was back and forth and back and forth and, and I really have to do a mass confession here. So if you grew up Catholic, you're going to feel comfortable. We're going to have mass and confession right here. I have to do a mass confession here, okay? I was so engrossed in this show, both seasons, both, you know, four years ago and last year when it came out, that both seasons, each year they came out, I stayed up all night, all night binge watching all 10 episodes, right? I, I stayed up all night watching it. And furthermore, Okay, I had the opportunity last month to speak to hundreds of youth pastors in the state of Wisconsin. Only I drove an hour out of my way to go to the actual place, to the salvage yard, where all of this went down and all of this evidence was found. So I have a picture of me in the salvage yard, okay? I had to go. I love this show. I had to go there. So I want you to be looking forward to next year when Netflix releases its newest documentary, okay, Making a Minister, okay, <laughs> Making a Minister. It's coming out next year. I hope you'll all tune in, okay? We could take that down, okay. But seriously, if I've learned anything from these true crime documentaries, it's this. When trying to prove anything in court... Okay, when trying to prove anything in court, one of the best things a lawyer can do is call a reliable eyewitness to the stand. And a reliable eyewitness to the stand. And right here, in the middle of John's prologue, John, the gospel writer, does just that. But he doesn't call just any eyewitness. John calls to testify about Jesus, a man sent from God, whom Jesus himself called the greatest man who ever lived. And that man was John the Baptist. We read about it in John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. It's our scripture focus this morning. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, that's Jesus, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Now let me give you a little history of John the Baptist. You see, the hand of God was on John the Baptist before he was even born. His parents Zechariah the priest and Elizabeth couldn't have children. Then one day in the temple, Zechariah was visited by an angel who promised him a son and said these words about this son, John the Baptist. In Luke 1, the angel says, For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn 
many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. See, God had special plans for this baby from day one. John was filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. We also read about that in Luke chapter 1 as well. You see, Jesus and John the Baptist were cousins. And Mary, when she had Jesus in the womb, went and visited Elizabeth with John in the womb. And when the two of them got together, John was filled with the Holy Spirit and leaped with joy when Jesus was around. Man, if that's not biblical evidence for the pro-life movement, I don't know what is, okay? The Holy Spirit was filling John in the womb. John took the Nazarite vow. If you grew up in Sunday school, you may remember that Samson, oh, he was my favorite, he was the strong man of the Bible, right? The original Avenger, the original superhero, okay? The strong man of the Old Testament was another who took this Nazarite vow. Although Samson broke this vow often, John didn't. This vow was to abstain from alcohol, amongst other things, so that one could be set apart for the Lord. You know, there are some things in this world... There are some things in this world that you and I may be called to abstain from in order to be set apart for the Lord, to be ready for his plan and purpose for us at any moment. And John also had a purpose. God had a plan for John. He was to prepare God's people for the coming Messiah, for Jesus. Then we don't hear uh, about John for about 30 years. We don't get any details of his life until all of a sudden he steps out of the wilderness and he begins preaching this message, repent. Now repent literally means to turn around, to turn from your worldly ways and to turn to God. Matthew Chapter 3 writes this about John. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. We need to understand the cultural context of what's going on. For 400 years, God had been silent. All of the prophets of old had foretold of the coming Messiah. But there had been no prophets for 400 years. There had been no one speaking on behalf of God to the people since the prophet Malachi. Then suddenly, out of the wilderness comes a prophet who begins to speak of the coming Messiah once again. But what's special about John is not only is he prophesying about what's to come, but he himself was prophesied about by the prophets of old, by Isaiah and Malachi as well. Matthew goes on in verse 4. 
John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. You know, at first glance in in our culture today, we might think of John as this, this wild man, right? This Davy Crockett, Daniel Boone, Jeremiah Johnson, wild man type of character who would be looked upon as this crazy person coming out of the wilderness. Why? Because of the way he dressed, because of the food he ate, the bugs and the honey, and the fact that he didn't participate in fancy social functions and and drinking fancy cocktails and, you know, drinking craft beers, you know, made up north. But that's not how these people 2,000 years ago would have seen him. They would have seen a man who lived and dressed and acted like the prophets of old. Hope for these people, hope for these people would have been restored. Finally, after 400 years, God has chosen to speak to us again. And this is his message. Repent. Repent and prepare yourself for the Messiah is coming. And he's not coming down the road He's not coming sometime in the near future. He's coming now. He's coming today. And these people would have been excited. These people were flocking to see John. These people were coming by the hundreds and thousands to hear what John had to say. John the Baptist was a very powerful and well-received preacher. Matthew goes on in verse 5, people from Jerusalem and from all of Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. In fact, there was a period of time when John had more followers than Jesus. That's why sometime later, John says in the Gospel of John, I must decrease so that he may increase. John chapter 3, John the Baptist says this, You yourselves know how plainly I told you I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride. And the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. But listen to what Jesus himself says about John the Baptist. We read about it in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus began talking about John to the crowds. What kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed, swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No, people with expensive clothes live in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, and he is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way 
before you. And then in verse 11, I tell you the truth of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Wow. The greatest who ever lived? Does this mean we all need to go live in the woods and eat bugs and honey and dress in animal skins if we want to be great? Was John the greatest because he was chosen by God to be the forerunner to the Messiah? Was John the greatest because he preached in the power of Elijah and shared many qualities with Elijah, including calling a nation to repentance and even rebuking the king? which, by the way, led to his imprisonment and eventual death? Was John the greatest because God had chosen him to to break the 400-year divine silence that had existed since the prophet Malachi? You know, of all the prophets, of everyone who spoke of the coming Messiah, of all the prophets, John was the only one, the only one who got to see and touch the Messiah in the flesh. John the Baptist was so great because he literally introduced people to their Savior. He literally introduced people to their Savior. John says this about Jesus in John 1. And he says this about Jesus in John 3. In John 1... John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he's introducing people to Jesus. In John 3, he testifies about Jesus, and he says, and anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. You know, throughout the friendship of John and Jesus, many of John's followers began following Jesus. And once they heard John's testimony that Jesus was the Messiah, they said, well, John, it's been great. (laughs) Thanks for all the preparation. Now I'm going to go with this guy, right? The Messiah. Thanks, Thanks for preparing me. Thanks for the introduction. Now I'm ready to follow. I need you to listen to this. You could could find all of what I'm about to say in John chapter 1, right after the prologue. Andrew, Andrew, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, was first one of John the Baptist's followers, one of John the Baptist's disciples. Then he began to follow Jesus based on John's testimony. John the Baptist introduced Andrew to Jesus. Then Andrew went and found his brother, Peter, and introduced Peter to Jesus. Then Andrew and Peter together went to school with a guy named Philip. And after hearing from Andrew and Peter and receiving an invitation from Jesus, Philip began to follow Jesus. Then Philip went and found his friend, Nathaniel and invited Nathanael to come and meet Jesus. And Nathanael began to follow Jesus. That's four of Jesus' 12 
disciples. Do you see how this man John, sent from God with the message of God, passed that message down from person who passed that message to person who passed that message to person? Do you see how that invitation from John to Andrew Pass that invitation to person who pass that invitation to person who pass that invitation to person. See, there's this spiritual, generational family tree. And it all started with John the Baptist preparing and introducing people to Jesus. Why was he the greatest? Because he was sent from God to introduce people to Jesus. You know, for many of you, someone was sent from God in your youth to introduce you to Jesus. Or someone was sent from God as an adult to introduce you to Jesus. For many of you, there was someone sent from God named Barry Mariana. For many of you, there was someone sent from God named David Sad. There was a man sent from God named Jamie Kendrew. There was a man sent from God named Jared Ott. There was a woman sent from God named Carla Batch. There was a man sent from God named Robbie Grunwald. There was a man sent from God named Ed Glover. There was a man sent from God named John Guest. For many of you, there was someone sent from God who introduced you to Jesus. In my life, there was a man sent from God whose name was Jeff who introduced me to Jesus. Then there was a man sent from God whose name was Aaron who got me back on track and and who got me to take my relationship with Jesus seriously when I had gone astray. Then there was a man sent from God whose name was David that when I decided to go into ministry took me under his wing and taught me how to preach and taught me how to lead a team of volunteers and taught me how to minister to other people. And then in my mom's life, there was a woman sent from God whose name was Midge. And then my mom remarried. And in my stepfather's life, there was a man sent from God named Jay Passivant who introduced him to Jesus. And because of that relationship between him and Jesus, I now call that man my father, my dad. Now the three of us have very different stories, but we all belong to a new family, to God's family. We read about that family in Ephesians chapter 1. It says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. See, there's this spiritual family, and there's these spiritual generations, and they are passed on through invitation to invitation to invitation. If you have a relationship today, I want you to think back, because there's, there was at least one if not several men or women sent from God who reached out to you, who reached out to you and introduced you to Jesus, who reached out to you and helped you grow in that relationship with Christ, who helped you through tough times in life. My challenge to you today is why not write that person a letter or even in this digital world an email, find out where they are. Do you know what kind of encouragement that would be to that person? Maybe it's been some period of time. And to hear what an impact that was to them, that that they introduced you to Christ, or that they helped you through that tough time, or that they helped you grow, how that would spur that person on. You know, remember, Jesus said John was the greatest, but that's not all that Jesus said. 
In Matthew 11, 11, Jesus goes on. He starts with, I tell you the truth, of all who ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist, yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. What? (laughs) You know, Jesus wasn't talking about heaven as in when we get to spend all of eternity with God, heaven. He was talking about the kingdom of heaven that he was establishing here on earth that we are all taking part of right here in this room today. You see, John never got to see the crucifixion. John never got to see the resurrection. He was the last of the old prophets. He was the last of the old covenant He will be in heaven with us, yes, for sure. But we, here and now, we get to look back 2,000 years ago. We get to understand these things. But if you have a relationship with Jesus, we aren't just baptized with water. We are baptized in the Holy Spirit. If you have a relationship with Jesus, his Holy Spirit dwells within you and gives you the same power that John had. Do you want to be great? I do, but not by human standards, not for fame, not for fortune, not for credit. I just want to be privileged enough to be a man sent from God. I just want to be privileged enough to be someone sent from God just at some period of time to extend an invitation, to just, through God's help, just say those right words at one particular moment. You know, we're all called to be someone sent from God with the message of God, that Jesus is alive, that he loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. Did you know that you can help alter someone's eternal destiny? And more than that, you can make a difference in someone right here and now in their life today. I am thankful that there was a man sent from God named Jeff, or I would not be standing up here today. I'd probably be in jail or dead or something else. You could help do that just from a few simple words. Just an invitation is all it takes. Just like what Philip said to his friend Nathaniel in John chapter 1. He said, all he said was, come meet this man. In John chapter 1, he said, come and see for yourself. That's all he said to his friend. That's all it takes is to be open to give someone a simple invitation. You know, everyone loves to be invited. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, man, I I just, I really hope nobody invites me anywhere today. That would just be the worst. Nobody does that. Everyone loves to be invited. And when people get invited to church and it's not their thing, that's exactly what they will say. They will say, thank you, but you know, church just really isn't my thing. That's exactly what they will say to you. They're not going to freak out. They're not going to go bananas. They're not going to lose their mind. They're not going to cut off your friendship. They'll actually appreciate the invitation. And they'll say, thank you, but you know, church is just really not my thing. You know, that's all we're called to do is to extend the invitation. The rest is up to God and to them. It's not up to you. Just extend the invitation. The rest is up to God and to them. Do you want to be great? Be like John. Set yourself apart. You might have to give some things up. Be a person ready to be sent by God. Be ready to extend an invitation to meet Jesus. 
Let's pray. God, again, I thank you for this church. God, I thank you there's so many people in here. And Lord, I thank you for all of the people who are responsible for all of the people who are in here who know you. God, I pray that we might be able to look back on those who introduced us to you. And I pray, God, that uh, even in our quiet time with you, that we might be able to pray for them and be thankful. God, I pray that we might be inspired by them. And we might be able to think, man, where would I be today if I didn't receive that invitation? Where would I be today if I didn't receive that help to grow? If I didn't receive that help through that tough time? Man, I want to be like that for somebody else. God, help me to be like that for somebody else. God, I get excited as I think back upon this spiritual family tree. As I see how John introduced Andrew to Jesus. And I see how Jesus took these disciples and trained them to start the first church. And sooner or later, Paul came along. And then he started spreading the word to the rest of the world. And all these churches started popping up. And invitation after invitation after invitation kept growing and growing and growing. And we're all here today for one reason or another. And we could trace that lineage back. Man, that's exciting. God, may we be inspired. May we be inspired to be great like John. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what you've done. And because we have a relationship with you, therefore we have your Holy Spirit. And we can simply extend an invitation. We thank you, God, and we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.